0: What's going on? This is issue zero. I'm your host Fred Kennedy. And before we get into the regular podcast, I wanted to tell you about a massive event going on this weekend called Be Our Heroes Canada. This is a Facebook live event that runs May 16th and 17th. You go on Facebook slash Be Our Heroes Canada. All right. Uh, There's going to be ways for you to buy product directly from stores across the country as well. Uh, Buy items from various big time comic book creators across the country country we're talking about adam gorham andy belanger chip zadarsky ed brisson jay torres who came on a few weeks ago jason Liu, absolutely fantastic guy ray fox i adore ray fox one soul is one of my all-time favorite comic books period end of story scott Chandler, creator of two generals going to be on there uh sean daly who i will always argue is one of the greatest cartoonists this nation has ever produced and of course ken lashley Come on. Those are some huge names, buddy. Uh, If you are a fan of comics and want to ensure that you're doing your part to make sure the comic book community is as healthy as possible and still around when all this stuff is over, when these times of uncertainty have passed, this is something you should definitely be checking out. All right. It's also an opportunity for you to get like a one of a kind piece of art. I'd encourage you as a fan of comics just to check this out this coming weekend, May 16th and 17th of the year 2020 in case this is the future and you're listening to us in the past now. You got it? Good. All right, let's let's get into the cast, okay? Lives have changed, and our sweatpants haven't. But that's okay. Just wash them every now and again. Some of us, myself included, are actually working much longer hours than before. Our habits outside of work have been forced to change as a result. There's nothing you can do but just... Keep as positive as you're able, wash your hands, and be grateful to those doing their best to give things a sibilance of normalcy. With the massive shift, I haven't really been able to get back to the standard format for the podcast. It's frustrating, but like the rest of you, I'm doing what I can. So, since we're not going out socializing and we're spending more time at home catching up with our must-watch TV and movie lists, I would figured I'd reach out to some people in the creative community and see what they've been doing during the break. This is issue zero and i'm your host fred kennedy and today we'll be chatting with tattoo artist and comic book artist brian level about what he's consuming during this extra home time brian has worked on star wars the avengers deadpool the hulk and that's just marvel we could also get into his image stuff like mantle with canadian ed brisson and then there's dc batman suicide squad el diablo the guy has a very long resume, and he's also a great human, and that's why I wanted to see what he was up to. First of all, how's it going, man?
1: Uh, pretty square, man. I uh, I feel real lucky. I was just talking about this yesterday about how, you know, there's a lot of articles coming out about, like, how this is as much of a mental health issue for a lot of us as it is like a physical issue, this quarantine stuff, I guess, for the sake of if anybody goes back in time. <laughs> uh and, man, I've been really good, so I feel really, really, really fortunate that I've been kind of able to keep my keep my head. I, I say I keep, but I just, I'm lucky. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean?
0: You know, I think it comes down to uh, where you're keeping your focus on. It's very easy to get pulled down into the amount of negativity that's out there. But if you can focus yourself on the positive aspects of what's going on right now, the people you're with – uh, right. the content you're consuming in terms of like literature and movies and TV, I find that that's a really great takeaway. It's like a little vacation.
1: Yeah, well, and, I, and there's a thing that I kind of noticed was like if I, if like if there's a bit of information or an article or a headline that causes like an emotional reaction in me to where I want to read it because either like, like I'm, it makes me nervous or afraid or angry or anything like that, um, like if I notice like an uptick of that feeling, like I just don't engage it at all. Like if, if it's like a thing that kind of is like piques my curiosity, but I don't have like an emotional attachment to it whatsoever. Like if it was like you know something super depressing, like you know like uh, this thing going rampant through, uh, you know a bunch of nursing homes, and there was there was supposed to have something delivered, I'd be like, that's not a thing I'm going to click on. Yeah, you know what I mean. I'm just going to get scared and nervous. Because information, right? Like information, we have. Like we kind of feel like it's it's helpful, but more times than not, I think it's really paralyzing uh, if we don't have a way to apply it. And I've, so, like I realize, if I can't apply this stuff to anything, then the information is completely useless.
0: Ignorance is bliss, sometimes, man.
1: Well, when you're completely when you're completely powerless to do anything about it, and a lot of times, like it kind of is. That, like, but the funny thing is, like, bliss almost implies, like, a stupidity or something, and it's kind of more like just, like, you know, pick your battles. Absolutely! Totally, man. It's being pragmatic is what it is. Right.
0: So, what is uh, your, your go-to movie right now, or is it a movie franchise?
1: Uh, it's more of a subgenre. Uh, So typically, I don't know if I mentioned this last time we spoke, but I'm typically like a big horror guy. I tend to like psychological horror, kind of noir, uh, stuff that kind of doesn't fit neatly in that box. And if I'm watching any horror right now, it's kind of trash horror, like real light garbage, like that's not good. Bad special effects and stuff. What's that? Bad special effects. Yeah, well, or just really insane, like, but yeah, bad or just, like, kind of so far removed from real that you don't know if it's bad or not, <laughs> like, but, like, like, rubber monsters and that sort of stuff, right? Uh, but weirdly, the m- thing that I actually find myself going to more so is kind of like that um, 90s slacker dramedy comedy <laughs> stuff. Yeah, uh, Like, stuff that I kind of grew up with that I kind of felt like I did not like, because I'm a, I'm a zillennial or whatever, right? Uh, like I'm like kind of between millennials and Gen X and like, I always kind of grew up identifying with Gen Xers in a lot of ways. Like, cause they were all these sort of like, uh, like they wanted to be smart and they hung out with like, like uh, at least the portrayal in the media, drinking no, coffee like, and making ironic comments. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I relate to that. You know what I mean? Like, I listen to kind of like, like, I, I watch 120 minutes, you know, like, I, you know, I like, I like some of you know, some of these movies and these comedians and stuff like that. And so I kind of always like related upward in that way. Uh, and so like a lot of those Gen X sort of slacker dramedy sort of things that are kind of cringy now have been kind of a balm uh, to me where I can just kind of throw them on and, and feel like feel not young again. Cause that's kind of BS, but uh, I almost swore there. I don't know if I'm allowed. To you can, you
0: can swear if uh, you need to.
1: Okay. Well, well you know, it's kind of like, it's not like, like a, like a, a, there's definitely a nostalgia to it, but it's not about like wanting to be young, but it's just kind of like, like, I don't know. It's just kind of like feeling safe for a minute while I work and just kind of like, like have something that, you know, a lot. I don't know. It's just kind of a weird time.
0: I get that. Cause as I've gotten older I sort of like analyzed the concept of nostalgia. And I remember when I was in junior high uh, and I saw uh some Gen Xer type movie. I think it was Singles, was on at like eleven PM at night on TV. And this was nineteen ninety-three. I was fourteen years old. I couldn't relate to what was happening because I wasn't in my 30s going to bars l- watching Soundgarden play or, or whatever. But right. I remember watching the movie and I think the the sense of nostalgia comes from knowing that when you watch that movie the first time, everything worked out. Like, that was... 20-some-odd years ago, and things have gone okay since then. I'm still alive. I still have food. So you know that when you watch it the first time, things are going to be okay. And that feeling of knowing that for a while things will work out is a really powerful vibe right now.
1: Yeah, well, and also a lot of those movies were made when we weren't in the midst of wartime. And so it kind of makes me wonder, like, how much of that the general vibes of those movies were from, uh, like, like we had finished a war, what in like '91 or something like that. 92. Desert Storm
0: for anyone who's not a historian,
1: right? Well, so like in, in at least the United States, I say we. Um, I mean the United States. I know you're in Canada, right? <laughs> yeah. So the United States here, we are. We're in a war that ended in like '91, '92, Desert Storm, and we were in a war again for about ten years. And so there was a ten-year gap where, like, there, like the, like there wasn't this feeling of like. Uncertainty and general, like, uh, global geopolitical unrest. And so, for me, like, I was able to just kind of be a kid and watch these things and dream about the future in, you know, in flannel and <laughs> cut off jean shorts and shit. So it made, made life a little easier, I guess. What about TV shows, man? What are you watching on TV?
0: Because me and my boys, we cracked out on Rebels. Like, that was the show for us.
1: Hmm. Uh, I'm not really doing much TV right now. Uh, I just wrapped up Atlanta, that my wife and I really took our time with because we loved it so much and we didn't want to blow through it. Um, so we did, like generally if I watch a TV show, it's with Aaron, uh, my wife. If I say Aaron, I'm talking about my wife. Yeah. Uh, so Aaron and I finished Atlanta not long ago. Like we just wrapped it up, and then we kind of are given Patriot a run on Amazon. Uh, which has been really something. Like, there's really not a lot like it. It kind of has a really weird, like, Coen-esque-ness to it while also feeling a lot more, uh, like, I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's it's not co like it doesn't feel like a Coen Brothers movie, but it feels like some of the characters might be or the premise might be a coen sort of thing. It's really, really interesting and weird, and I really like that.
0: Now, that show had a relatively short run, 18 episodes. What's the premise of it? Give me, give me the pitch. Uh,
1: so it's essentially like a, a Black Ops uh, – I guess that's like – we're not far into it either, so it could shift a lot. But it's essentially like a Black Ops dude uh, or a mercenary-type guy – who kind of does U.S. intelligence sort of securing things globally, um, but is clearly depressed as hell, like he misses his wife, um, but he's abroad a lot because things don't always go great. Um, So he's not like particularly like, I don't know, good guy. He's just kind of doing his patriotic duty, but to deal with the trauma and PTSD of it all, he turns to being a folk musician But the difficult part of him being a folk musician is that all of his folk songs are just about super sensitive confidential information. And and so it generates this hilarious, like, tension all the time. Uh, It's really good. Now, how did you find this show, man? Uh, I saw a couple people talking about it, and it kind of is one of those ones that seems like just like a low-key, like, the pitch I don't think is, like, that pitch doesn't get me excited. Uh, like, because I feel like that pitch is the type of thing that would be on like, uh, like not to diminish any of these channels, but like, like one of those like Sundance originals or something like yeah, that, but I just wouldn't feel like, okay, that sounds fine, but not for me or whatever. Or They
0: took a bunch uh, of trades that don't go together and that's what the character does.
1: All of them. Right. But it happens to be great. Like it's like clearly an execution based success. Now, I'm getting a vibe like
0: Barry from this because Barry is another sort of dark comedy about a guy who's up to very clandestine type of operations and finds another artistic outlet in acting in order to vent his frustrations.
1: Yeah, so Barry I have not seen and I hear is great. And from what I hear about Barry, is it seems a little bit more like overtly absurdist in a lot of ways. Yes. Or- this is like extremely grounded and gets very, very harrowing at times while also, like, it's it's comedic in its situations, not in its execution, if that makes sense.
0: I get it. Totally get it. What about uh, books and comics? Now, because we were going to talk about uh, what people could do to help comic creators and whatnot a few weeks ago, but I kind of shifted gears into what people are consuming. What were you working on when the shutdown happened?
1: Well, uh, so for anybody listening that doesn't know, I own a tattoo shop. Um, and that kind of always, though, I kind of tend to stay, I try to stay as you know, prominent in comics as I can. Um, that's always like a, a main priority for me as well. Um, but, you know, like, so when, when the shutdown happened, I had just started a thing, uh, like literally just started. Like I think I was in the layout phase of a two-issue uh, fill-in sort of job for a book at D.C., um, and that's like, no one said what that is yet. So I can't really go and talk about it. Um, but, uh, that literally just started. And then, um, they, cause I put the feelers out for that in January cause I hadn't worked with something like with them in a minute. And I was like, oh man, like I really like working with, these editors i wonder if they have anything uh, so i reached out in like mid-january late january i think and then by the end of february they're like hey do you want to do this and i was like yes uh, i'll get started on it or maybe it was mid-february so a couple weeks went by this is the worst story i've ever told by the way <laughs> it's a great story uh, so, so i had just started cracking on it like in early march uh and right about then all this stuff started popping off i mean it started popping off in february but you know like it started like getting really scary in march and they so i shut down the tattoo shop uh in the first half of march and so i like then i was kind of like okay i guess i'm just doing these two issues hopefully you know things work out or i can get some more work lined up before the shop opens up um so i've just been kind of like like i kind of was really fortunate to like land in a project and you know there was that moment where you're like oh my gosh are they going to furlough me are they going to stop production is it going to be like that people were saying pencils down or whatever uh, is it going to be one of those situations? So that was kind of like a little. It was a little touch and go. Felt like it was touch and go. It never was, but it felt that way uh, for for about two or three weeks there. Um, but that's just literally all I've been doing is just working on this project, and my shop is still shut down. Um, I have one guy that works there that I feel I'm feeling for because you know he hasn't had income in a month and a half. So I've been just kind of working on comics, thankfully, and took took some commissions to put me through the summer. So now.
0: When I follow you on Twitter, and I would encourage everybody to follow you on Twitter because of the type of art that you're consistently posting, you like to post, uh, you're really heavy with the black inks, monstrous type characters with lots of things going on. And even the way you draw like a guy like uh, Frank Castle, who's just a human, you give him that like monstrosity of to, as to who he is. Do you think those influences come directly from your love of the big time horror from the 90s?
1: Uh, actually i generally don't like 90s horror uh but like if you mean when i was consuming it yeah like the late 80s and early 90s and you know well up to current i absolutely think that uh everything i do is informed by horror uh because to me that like to me making comics isn't about drawings it's about like drawings and mood and feeling and so like if if I want, if a character is scary, I want them to feel scary or unpredictable or sometimes I'll just kind of, if you read my comics, I kind of frame things awkwardly. Like if you pay attention, it's not like during like a big action thing, I generally don't, but like I'll just awkwardly crop panels to kind of create tension and stuff. And a lot of that's from horror, you know, like you want to destabilize, like if you want to destabilize somebody, make a really unpleasant composition, <laughs> you know? So who do you think is the scariest character? in,
0: like, Marvel or DC?
1: Uh, well, well, the Spectre, I think, is hands down the scariest character in at DC. Um, what makes him so scary? There's nothing scarier than the Angel of Death. And I don't mean because they kill, but because, like, just that, that retributive, uh, destroying angel-like lore, um, an all-powerful thing that is there to usher you from this life into the next with impunity. The idea that something can take your life is scary the idea that something is so powerful that it, that it has uh, not only the ability to take your life, but also the absolute control to not or to is like dwarfingly scary. Uh, There's something that's the idea of God, right? Like the idea of fearing God, when people talk about that, I think it's a really like, like we come into it with this really, I think childish point of view where it's like, watch, we feel God, fear God if we love, if he loves us or whatever. And it's like, you're not really thinking about what a God is. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, The thing that could destroy you or unmake reality itself but chooses not to uh, with perfect control is nothing but terrifying. Uh, And so the specter to me is that.
0: You know, it's interesting you talk about that because I've been reading books about uh, ancient uh, Mesopotamian cultures and sort of it dabbles in why they would create deities and gods and religion. And it's something that happens around the world, and I think maybe it really is just – a way of, you know, anthropomorphizing that loss of control, the acceptance that you are totally at the whim of nature and the world. And this is just the way it is.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, I think there's reason to that. Uh, I think that they're like, like once again, that's like, well, we could get it like this is a whole nother call, right? But, <laughs> you know, I, I think that there is, I think that that is part of the psychological part. But I think that the concept of like uh, the mystical experience uh, that's been had since the beginning of time, like without having to explain it, like the the time the times that people have had historically and consistently across the globe, um, and the consistency of experiences kind of start to glom together to a general universal concept, uh, and and the visions the mystical sort of experiences that people have had start to glom together into sort of universals. And, and so like, I think there's like multiple, there's multiple facets to that, whether it's just in in consciousness, in the psyche, in, if maybe it's purely material, um, I don't happen to think it is. I kind of have more of a, a broader (laughs) view than that. Uh, but I think that definitely that's part of it. But I think that there's just the, the mystical element, like, is the thing that baffles me the most, uh, because we end up with, uh, you know, indescribable things. And, and the Spectre, to bring it back to the Spectre, the Spectre embodies all of that to me. You know, he's material and immaterial and uh, kind of seemingly eternal <laughs> like and all-powerful. It just scares the shit out of me. So have you been drawn to
0: <laughs> comics or books of that nature during the past few weeks, or are you trying to avoid it entirely?
1: Frankly, I am trying to avoid it. Like, I kind of have my stints where I get real heavy into... Uh, you know, when I say heavy into mysticism, I don't necessarily mean like like a magical sort of thinking or maybe in traditional sense of magic, uh, but like I definitely have my mystical moments where I'm like heavy into meditation and heavy into contemplation and uh, diving really deeply into a spiritual sort of way of being. It yields really beautiful results uh, a lot of times and some really interesting perspective that kind of can really... That I can that I can walk out into the world with a certain calmness and like stoicness about negative negative things or things that we perceive as bad, um, it's really helpful. But you live in that space too long, it starts to you know scramble me up a little bit, and I got to kind of get out for a little while, um, and I'm in, a, in an in and out phase. So what are
0: you reading right now?
1: Uh, comics, weirdly. So this is kind of totally uh totally reflective of that. Um, I just went back and read uh, Batman Hush um, and that was really just a very light delight, you know um, like I don't know if you've read that, but it's kind of that Jim Lee Jeff Leb. Uh, I'm not sure he say his last name. I screwed uh, up all the time too. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know it's like that twelve issue run that's pretty pretty uh, iconic at this point. Um, so I just reread that. I've been i I've been slowly kind of playing catch up on. Uh, the new run of Thor, that's Nick Klein and Donny Cates. Uh, that's been really fun. Uh, so I've just been kind of chipping away at sl- slightly, like, uh, not as heavy stuff. Like, I do love heavy stuff. Like, I like I, I still have, uh, you know, like, even even uh, <laughs> even um, Moon Knight, like, depending on the iteration, like, I was going into Max Bemis's Moon Knight, and uh, it was a little much for me at first. Like, the first issue was, like, I don't really know if I want to get into this and Immortal Halt can get that way right now because I'm just not wanting to go I want to keep it pretty surfacey right now so okay. I've been I, I, I did see there's another bulletproof coffin that I missed which is like my favorite one of my favorite series ever uh, so I got to go grab that there's like a one shot that came out so I'm excited to get that though are you much of a gamer I'm not I should recommend I should say though real quick since we didn't mention novels I just uh, got in the mail the paperback edition of Laird Baron's Uh, Black Mountain, which is his sequel to Blood Standard, uh, which was an amazing, like, crime noir pulp sort of thing done through, like, there's, like, a great mythic uh, feeling to it all, Uh, so I'm really excited about reading that. So that's,
0: Uh, like, a crime genre, like, crime noir type story.
1: Yeah, it's, like, noir, but there's, like, this intense, like, clearly, like, classical myth kind of laced throughout it all, but it's still very modern. Um, And takes place in modern New York, like uh, upstate New York, but it's really awesome. That's called Black Mountain. I'm very excited about that. Laird Barron is like to me, like kind of like an unsung modern master of language. He's very exciting to read.
0: That seems like a really cool concept, like the mixing of the genres with mythic and crime noir. Do you think it's possible that you could take like a crime noir story and put it into any setting, like be it like feudal Japan or? ancient egypt is it possible
1: absolutely no no question uh no question in my mind whatsoever i think it's been done over and over and over again throughout throughout you know since crime noir kind of came around there was kind of those proto like other period noirs and stuff too but you absolutely because i mean you have the neo-noirs um and it doesn't and you have and you have sci-fi noir like there's no reason that you can't go back in time instead of forward so you don't really play video games you were saying not really I do play I have been playing through the uh, remaster of Arkham City um, because my kids really want me to play it but I won't really let them play it because uh, it's A they'll just get frustrated and B it's pretty intense at times maybe a bit inappropriate um, so we've been kind of I've been playing through that like I'll kind of it seems like maybe once a week or once every two weeks I'll kind of get like 30 minutes to an hour in uh, and they get really stoked about that well what game are you playing with them what do you mean like, uh, like video game? yeah we don't play video games together. We don't have enough controllers or games that like they have. So this is probably, I don't know if this is going to make me feel like a, seem like a bad dad or a good dad.
0: I let my kids play, uh, play Assassin's Creed Odyssey for about 20 minutes till my wife came home. And then I (laughs) realized how wildly off base I was with that decision. So don't feel bad.
1: Well, so we, my, my kids got a switch for Christmas. Um, they no longer have a Switch. <laughs> uh, like, it's still in the house, um, but, you know, like, it, it kind of got to the point where, like, we were, like, we are only letting them play on the weekends, but, like, every single day, all day, became talking about what they were going to do on the Switch and what they were going to do on the, like, to the point where, like, he quit and make it, like, my oldest quit making things, like, it, it just kind of, like, became, like, this sort of, like, they like they just started up obsessing over it um and i kind of had a talk with him and i was like do you think that like this is like okay and he kind of like was like no (laughs) i don't think that's probably good for me and so you know we kind of had like a like a little talk about it and like i was like well how about we just get rid of the switch for a while and see how that goes and that's been about two or three weeks since we got rid of it and Man, like the whole tone of the house has changed. Like they're way more inclined to make things and like be more imaginative with play. And I kind of feel like that's just better. And my wife yesterday, oddly enough, she was like like my kids had done really well all day, like busted their butts at school and just kicked butt all around, and she just kind of surprised them and busted the switch out, and she was like, Here you can play for 45 minutes. And they were thrilled. Um, but then it was done, and then we put it away again, and there's no hope that they'll get it back, so they don't they haven't asked about it. And that's been a lot better for us. Uh, I don't think that there's anything wrong with letting kids play games, but ours just became, like, really obsessive about it in a way that I think was probably not not good for them, and he even seemed to admit it. I was trying not to lead him down that path. I was just asking him genuine questions about things, and that's kind of seemed to be where it, where it went. And I feel terrible, you know, because it's like they love it, and you don't want to take away something that people love. But I know people that love drugs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, I, and I'm glad to, like, be like, you need to stop that and so with my kids i kind of had to be like well if you agree that this seems or that you would say that this is probably a little problematic for you then maybe we should take a break for a while and Do you, he agreed
0: so. i totally get that sense of second guessing almost every parenting decision that you make is this the right decision is this a bad decision and then You'll see an article about some kid that's 13 and making a million dollars a year playing some video game. And you're like, man, if only I let my kid train more, they could be going pro, you know?
1: Right. Well, and then well, that's what's funny is because I'm like, if you were to give a kid like a 13-year-old kid a million dollars, you couldn't ask me for a worse recipe for a bad adulthood. <laughs> that's so true. Imagine the petulance at like 19 when you gotta actually work a hard job. I was a millionaire at 13. Like this is unfair. It's like, <laughs> hold on, you're all twisted up. You're all twisted up, bro. Totally. What about board
0: games? Because you're saying you're not playing video games. Do you guys sit around and play board games as a family?
1: Yeah. So we've been doing. We got this thing called uh, No Stress Chess, uh, which is ultimately like just teaching kids chess. But through, like, kind of like pre order, like, it's kind of like you pull a card and it tells you what piece to move. Um, And then it has, like, the instructions of how to move it and everything on it. So it takes a lot of the strategy out of it and it just teaches you how everybody moves. And then there's multiple phases. So by the time you get to, like, the third or fourth phase or whatever, it's just, like, chess free play. And we're on phase two now. Um, where you know like uh, you don't pull the cards anymore, but like there's I can't remember I can't remember exactly how it goes, but you know they're learning about um, castling and all that stuff and all the more complicated moves in chess, um, and, and so it's really really cool to kind of so we've been doing a lot of chess with the boys and they've they've enjoyed it. The the six year old doesn't get it like he but he likes to watch and he does like to try to mess the game up. But he can play the simple version where you just pull the card, so that's like nice. So we can play the super simple version with him. Uh, so we've been doing that, and that's really fun. And Catan uh, or Catan Junior. Yeah, uh, which is also a
0: blast. I'm, I'm a big fan of Catan Junior. I'm all, uh, but I I'm glad you brought up chess. I really feel like chess really is the granddaddy of all the board games. I find that it is. One of the most applicable games to real life there is. I feel like every day can be related to chess in one way or another, you know?
1: Sure. Both of those games, both Catan and chess, both teach you like resource management in and in like uh, sort of preserving things for, you know what I mean? Like they're both like highly strategic
0: sometimes you've got to sacrifice a pawn to get a bishop and that's the way life works like like your kids if they want to get that 45 minutes of the switch they got to put in time doing other things that's the pawn you know what i mean
1: right of course yep uh and and like honestly if you don't think that life is about sacrifice like you've already missed (laughs) like like you've totally missed like and some people like some people, like, their life has kind of set up to where, like, I don't even blame them, you know what I mean? Like, their life has been set up where they don't have to learn that. Um, but, like, they, that's, like, one of the earliest lessons that we've kind of learned in this house, uh, is just kind of like, like, everything takes work, and it's, and you don't get stuff because, like, uh, because you deserve it. You get stuff because people are kind. Um, and that there's very few things in this world that we, you know, that we deserve, you know, obviously, like, dignity and, like, you, you deserve food and shelter and water and extend that to everybody you always meet, always, you know, like, basic needs, like, and, and dignity and kindness and all those things. But, like, eh, you don't deserve a video game. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, you don't. That's something that you have because we're, we're trying to be nice, you know, like. And and but that gets complicated, you know, this makes me seem like a tyrant too or whatever, but like we just try to boil things down to basics, you know, and and that way because I'm a freelancer for a living, essentially, even with tattooing, like I own the shop, but I'm a freelancer for a
0: living. Um, I, I feel bad that people would think what you said makes you a tyrant. I don't agree with that opinion at all. I am a hundred percent on board with what you're saying is The world is a hard and scary place and it doesn't care about your feelings. And you need to learn that and accept it, that sometimes it's just not going to work out for you. But that doesn't mean you stop trying, you know?
1: Well, there's a complicated, like, divide that happens, I think, when, you know, because I agree, like, the world doesn't care about your feelings. But that doesn't mean that I don't. Exactly. Like, and so with my sons, you know, a lot of times it's like, look, your feelings are super valid. Like your anger is valid, your sadness is valid, but you can't always like stay in it because not everybody's going to be able to either A, make your feelings feel better, or B, maybe the feeling that you have is, is leading you instead of you leading it. And when those things take control of you, you're no longer like in the lead. And when you're out of the lead, you're getting dragged through life. You know, nobody, nobody should be dragged through life. But the, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are. And so if you, do, if you have the, the ability to not be dragged, then don't allow yourself to be dragged because like then you don't end up where you want to be and like or or even anywhere that's particularly healthy generally speaking some people fall ass first into you know good fortune or whatever but generally speaking that's not the case here's uh
0: here's one last question for you sure you're playing board games with your kids do you let
1: them win you bet your ass i do oh really oh yeah (laughs) well let me hold on you know what that's, that's a little more loaded. Uh, I make choice, I make intentional bad choices periodically depending on the, I take the temperature of the board and, uh, if people are getting like, cause like my oldest was in a, you know, a fit of tears cause we didn't, cause we just beat his ass at chess several times in a row. And there, there was a, like, but then we kind of got to the point, well, his mom, let me rephrase that. I'm going to throw my wife under the bus. <laughs> My wife beat his ass many times, <laughs> and he had not played me yet, and he didn't want to play me because he had already lost so many times and he was really distraught. And so I kind of got in, and there was a point where I, I, I saw, like, I was like, oh, man, I could I could really, like, take out half of his squad here real quick. And so instead of doing that, I kind of looked at what he had and stuff that I thought that he might intuitively see so i kind of gave him i sacrificed a pawn and then he positioned himself in a better space and and kind of got himself into a you know i made about three or four moves in that game that set me up for failure but he still inevitably won but i you know I handed him the victory, but I didn't like intentionally lose. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, you gotta. If you if you're too merciless and ruthless on a on a game like chess with your kids, they're not gonna want to play anymore. And if your intent is to humiliate them, then yeah, just destroy them. But if you want them to get better, you gotta give them a victory every now and again. You know, don't make it easy so that you give them that sense of accomplishment when they win. And you're like, see, wasn't that awesome? But you, know,
1: there, you can generate, like, futility in those things really quickly if, if you're not careful. And the last thing that I want, like, I'm, I'm kind of okay with him feeling a sense of futility. And then I can, like, kind of, like, uh, bully him across the threshold into, like, hope again by doing those sort of things. Because it's kind of okay to feel hopeless, but then get it back. You know what I mean? Like, that's, like, every great story involves someone feeling like they can't do it. But then they, they're they able to because that, that kind of grows you inside, you know, like it pushes your boundaries of what you're capable of. And some people could say that you, you fabricated it and that it's bullshit and you give people false hope. But fuck them anyway. Like like hope hope is literally the only thing in the world that's worth anything because it's the only thing that pushes us forward. So whether there is no hope and we're all doomed, that might be reality. But frankly, that may, that's, that's a useless way to think at least. So I'd rather at least have uh, useful hope even if it's false.
0: What a great way to wrap things up. I could talk to that guy for hours. He's one of those rare people who just refuses to accept things at face value. And it's one of those traits I really appreciate in people. Uh, I'm still working on tracking down a guest for next week. I've got somebody in mind, but they have yet to confirm. So I don't want to start making promises. But I will say this. If you read comics at all, like anything published within the last decade, you've probably read their work. Also, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to Issue Zero so you never have to miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps us spread the word and get more people to find the podcast. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today, uh, links to our guests, etc., If you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter at Fearless underscore Fred on Facebook, Instagram. You can also email me issue zero at CuriousCast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me and Dila Velasquez, our producer. Uh, Sound design and final production by Rob Johnson. Also, big thanks to Dylan Moore for his work on this week's episode.
1: See you next time for more Issue Zero.